Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. One of the fun subplots of this summer so far has been the emergence of the team we sort of call Mighty Michigan. Because despite the fact that Michigan lost last year to TCU, a team that Georgia beat 65-7, to and despite the fact that Michigan lost in 2021 to Georgia so bad I thought the Wolverines might give up the sport, despite all of that, there has been this what seems to be a concerted effort to sort of proclaim Michigan as perhaps the team to be in college football here this year. Now, odds makers aren't going to reflect that. Georgia is still the odds-on favorite to win the national championship, and Georgia will be the preseason number one team to begin the season, both the coaches and the media when those official polls come out they're also the number one ranked team in the kind of unofficial polls too some of this though is just the chatter the talking season fodder where there's just a desire if you can to find something to make this year hopefully more interesting you know the the national media types they don't like repetition they never really have and if you can talk up a team like Michigan that's always really good business to do because Michigan is after all one of the largest fan bases out there you can't dispute that they may be overrated at times in the field but their overall fan base cannot be understated there are millions of Michigan fans populous state a heritage program it's it's always good business to sell the idea of the Wolverines being on top of the college football world as if this was the 1960s well that has kind of happened some over the course of this offseason we have certainly seen that uh, I guess the most prominent example is Reese Davis the host of ESPN's college game day you've heard me play this clip before but I need to play it again because of the context it provides here is Reese Davis sort of kind of casting the narrative for mighty Michigan going into the 2023 season. Michigan has a proven quarterback that I think is going to improve greatly this year. They've got the best cornerback in America and Will Johnson. They've got some transfers on both lines of scrimmage, including a pass rusher that should shore up some of the things that they've lost. And they've done a really good job in the transfer portal the last couple of years, particularly on the lines of scrimmage. They've got their running backs coming back couple of uh, wide receivers that might even be bigger threats, uh, transfer tight end from Indiana, I believe. They, I think if I had to fill out the ballot right now based on what I know, you know, what I, the type of production I know I'm going to get, I think I'd put Michigan number one. Well, I guess there's no point playing the season. They've got a transfer tight end from Indiana. You can't do anything about that. I guess there's just no point. Uh, mighty Michigan just cannot be beat here this year. Now, we've obviously laughed at Reese Davis saying that before. We've laughed at other media types who've kind of tried to follow suit on all of that. But we have, at times, given Michigan some credit because one of the things we also talked about was is that you know Jim Harbaugh, I guess, had let it slip or it kind of came to be reported. Bruce Feldman, I believe, had this first. Bruce, by the way, has also been one of these national media types who seems to be in love with mighty Michigan here right now. But uh, uh, Feldman had reported that during practice here this year, Michigan had some plans to do what they were going to call their beat Georgia practice period. And our overall take on this was a little bit different than some people might would have assumed. Our thought was, well, this is an example of Michigan actually doing the right thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with having stated goals. You ever heard the old cliche about, hey, shoot for the moon, and if you miss, at least you land in the stars or some sort of corny thing like that? There's nothing wrong with having aspirational goals. And if you, even if you don't quite achieve them, you probably achieve otherwise more than you 
maybe thought you could have. There's nothing wrong with that in life. And setting your sights on Georgia, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If anything, Michigan was capable of doing something that a lot of other media types seemingly have been incapable of doing, which is acknowledging that Georgia is the top of the college football world. And listen, as I've said many times before, Georgia fans are the reigning kings of this sport here right now, and they get to decide how benevolent of a dictatorship they want to run. And if Georgia fans were to say, we don't actually want to be all that gracious right now, we want everyone acknowledging us at all times, I think that's their right, that's their prerogative. After all, many of us, if you've got a few years on you anyway, you have been waiting a long time to see your team on top of the sport. And now that you're there, you want everything that's coming your way. You want the acknowledgement of, you know what, no one plays college football at the level that Georgia does right now. I think there's some media types who've embarrassed themselves by failing to do that. Uh, Michigan, though, by acknowledging the dogs with their sort of beat Georgia period during practice, that's the right level of respect, I would say, for the team that is where Michigan wants to be. And there's nothing wrong with the Wolverines wanting to be aspirational. However, this week, we have found out more details about exactly what these beat Georgia practice periods entail for the Wolverines. And here is where I think some Georgia fans are going to have a chance to get themselves a little bit of a laugh at Michigan's expense here. Once again, Bruce Feldman, the guy who has had this before, tells us this. We'd reported last month that Michigan, which added a beat Georgia period in 2021, now has a, I should say, which added a beat Ohio period in 2021, now has a beat Georgia period. I asked Mike uh, Santristal, did he say that? Uh, Santristal uh, about it. He says, yeah, coach implemented a beat Georgia period where we'd go heavy 12 and 13 personnel. I'm pretty sure that's going to be every practice. Now, the 12 personnel, the 13 personnel, what that means is two tight ends, three tight ends on the field. So basically saying, hey, we want to make this a fight at the line of scrimmage. We're going to go heavy set, two tight ends, maybe three tight ends, and we're going to do hand-to-hand combat with Georgia right there at the line of scrimmage. Let me say this as sincerely as I'm capable of saying anything. If you watched film on Georgia and determine that the weakness and the vulnerability with Georgia lies at the line of scrimmage, then you need to fire the entirety of your scouting department. You need to literally clean house and start over from scratch. I mean, can you imagine this for five seconds? The idea of Georgia, who has marched through the last two seasons, 29-1, won the last two national championships, and you're sitting around in the coach's room, and you kind of picture this in your mind. You're kind of sitting around the coach's room. Old, grizzled veterans get their feet up on the table you know the dry erase boards got some stuff scribbled on it the conversation's going what do we do about this georgia you know how you know where is georgia weak where does the vulnerability you know rest with these dogs and the michigan folks apparently said you know what i think that defensive line may be vulnerable I think we can kind of go get Georgia there along the defensive line. I think all it might require is just another tight end on the field, or maybe two more tight ends on the field. Let's just put three tight ends on the field. We'll battle them at the line of scrimmage. That's clearly Georgia's weakness and its vulnerability. Can you imagine a scouting report that would determine that about UGA? I mean, I would dare say those are people that don't need to be scouting anymore. And, and by the way, and this is not part of the topic, but I'll just kind of throw this in for free. If the Michigan offensive line is so good – they've after all won the Joe Moore award the last two years then how come they need three tight ends in the field to block Georgia 
Like that, that may be a question worth exploring here a little bit too, because the other thing we kind of get into from time to time about mighty Michigan is the fact that no matter how good the Georgia offensive line seemingly is, Michigan sort of owns the Joe Moore award. They've won it the last two years as the nation's top offensive line. Well, if they are so good, then how come at practice, Michigan acknowledges that to beat Georgia, they got to put three tight ends on the field just to block Georgia. That might tell me a little bit more about the Michigan offensive line and the 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 ludicrous nature of the joe moore award honoring them as the nation's best the last two years that's just sort of a free add-on to the regular topic you can think about that i guess on on your own free time but to go back to the main point here so michigan's belief is hey to beat georgia all we got to do is just put an extra block or two in the game we'll battle them hand-to-hand combat right there in the line of scrimmage because after all the one thing you know about georgia is is they have a nasty habit of being pushed around on the lines of scrimmage said no one ever and by the way to kind of bolster the point that i'm making here i saw this from our friends at pro football focus the other day some people's cup of tea admittedly not everyone's cup of tea but pro football focus put out its ranking of top defensive lines in the country if you pay any attention whatsoever you're probably not surprised to find out that georgia has expected to be the top returning defensive line in the country for the 2023 season and you may say well or if you're if you're not a georgia fan you may say but yeah jalen carter's not there anymore and you may say yeah nolan smith's not there anymore but what pro football focus wrote in the story i'll read a couple sentences to you even after losing jalen carter and nolan smith both of whom were 2023 first round picks to the philadelphia eagles georgia still has the best defensive front in college football that's from pro football focus now some people like pff some people don't but that is an objective source in all this saying hey they may have lost jalen carter and sort of count you know outside linebacker edge rusher types as kind of a defensive front right now they lost nolan smith too but that's still the best in, in college football you mentioned mikhail williams you mentioned nazir stackhouse who by the way is first team on sec warren brinson walthour chambliss obviously you know guys taking a bigger step up like marvin jones jr you can kind of mention all those names so the point we're getting to here is and i know it sounds obnoxious when i say this if michigan really is the biggest threat to georgia And if Michigan's best chance to beat Georgia is to do battle with them along the line of scrimmage, the belief that we're going to be we're going to be tougher at the line of scrimmage than Georgia is, then the season's already over. Now, we don't believe the season's already over. We believe that winning any national championship is difficult. Winning a third straight national championship is especially difficult for reasons we can't even predict or foresee right now. College football didn't get magically easy overnight. It is still a difficult sport to win in and certainly a difficult sport for the rest of us to predict. So we think there's weirdness on the way that's going to put Georgia to the test at some point in time. But if this is the test, then Georgia's already passed it. We saw them in 2021. Michigan didn't belong in the same field as UGA. And if the pathway to the Wolverines to, quote, beat Georgia here in 2023 involves being better at the line of scrimmage, then Michigan might as well give up the sport right now. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Kroger. We are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. What is episode 1998 of our program? That means on Tuesday, Lord willing, we'll celebrate our two thousandth episode i can't even believe that they've let me stick around here for such a long time but i am so thankful to be able to do it and so thankful to all of you who are part of it with us on video facebook and youtube and twitter and yeah we still call it twitter i don't know if people do people actually call it x now we still call it twitter i also am from georgia we call every soft drink coke so i'm not changing what i call twitter just because somebody wants me to 
either anyway uh whether you call it twitter or x or on that video platform or on the other video platforms there too all of them one day they may change their name but we'll still be on them there as well i'm imagining we're on the radio at noon on athens sports radio 960 the ref and we're available as a podcast wherever you find them apple spotify worldfamousdognation.com so many different ways for you to connect with our program and a big thanks to our friends at kroger who've pretty close been with us since the start of this thing uh, and we're certainly happy to uh, have them as a part of all of that and a couple of things i want you to know about kroger first of all kroger chef jr returns a couple of times during the month of august this is going to be fun and it's themed around the atlanta braves the month of august there as well which is a really cool thing how about chili slaw dogs a lot of you can't go to a braves game without getting a dog well here's a good one for you chili slaw dog a couple of times to do that here in the month of august august 12th and the 26th of course select uh, kroger locations got you on that now here's what's cool it's still just seven dollars per child as it always is but the collection of things you get for seven dollars in addition to making the chili slaw dog which sounds good in its own right how about this you also get the atlanta braves apron so you know when you do the kroger chef jr you always get some kind of cool stuff for doing that but this month because of the partnership with our friends at the atlanta braves you get the atlanta braves apron on that you also get a patch a chef's hat a recipe card and a holder and some tongs uh, that is $7 per child. So go to KrogerChefJr.com for more on that. The word junior spelled out J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJr.com today. Also, speaking of our friends at Kroger, they're getting you ready for back to school right now. Not everybody treats back to school as good news for some of the young kids in our audience. They are certainly maybe not excited about that. Some of the teachers are kind of, eh, I'm not quite so sure about that either. But one way or another, it is here. It's happening. And even if you're not quite super enthused about back to school, I know you'll be excited about this. It's our Celebrating Outstanding Teachers Contest, once again, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So if you have not nominated someone for this yet, you need to. Whether it's a teacher in your family, your child's teacher, a teacher in your community, someone from the neighborhood school, teachers that are doing great things, we want to celebrate those. And the week of August 7th, we're going to start uh, announcing those Celebrating Teachers winners, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. And each teacher who wins gets four great gift cards, 100 bucks to Kroger, $50 to Home Chef and Bath and Body Works and Target. So four great gift cards coming the way there of our Celebrating Teachers winners. And the good news is if you nominate one of our winners, you also get to be a winner there too you'll get a 50 dollars gift card to kroger and you'll get a dog nation gift bag which includes a t-shirt and some really cool stuff so that is all on the way courtesy of our friends at kroger make sure you check that out go to dognation.com we have a great staff uh, of technically savvy folks i'm clearly not one of those we have a great staff of technically savvy folks they have made making a nomination for this super super easy so go to dognation.com you can find out more about that today all right, so that is that. Coming up in a couple of minutes, I made a promise to Jeff Sintel we're going to get to him quickly today because I know a lot of you have got a lot of questions about Georgia recruiting. We're going to cover a bunch of that. We talk about defensive line. The defensive line recruiting stuff for Georgia right now is red hot. There are some very, very juicy kind of subplots to what's happening for Georgia along the defensive line. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll react to more of the K.J. Bolden stuff from yesterday and just all kinds of stuff with Jeff Sintel coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse poured today by our friends at the finish long drink boy a friday with the finish long drink that always sounds like a really good idea and i want to go back to something late in the show from yesterday not everybody gets a chance to this time of year anyway sometimes you have folks who maybe don't get a chance to listen to the to the show as it airs live and maybe you've missed thursday's show 
it's really worth going back and checking out the full episode. We had some great stuff involving KJ Bolden from Jeff Sintel to kick things off yesterday. And then near the end of our program, for the first time in a little while, we brought back former Georgia quarterback David Green on the program. And there's a couple of things that David said that I think we're going to unpack on maybe future episodes of our show. But one thing in particular I wanted to circle back to here right now. David was Georgia quarterback starting in 2001 through 2004. And working there as a Georgia quarterback in the Mark Richt era, he was also working with Mike Bobo kind of prior to Bobo becoming offensive coordinator, but as kind of a quarterback's coach. So Bobo and Green kind of worked closely together there on that. And at the time, you know, Mike was not really all that much older than Dave Green was. So it was a very early stage of the Mike Bobo coaching career but it was an opportunity for David Green to get some insight into the personality that Mike brings back to him now in his second stint as Georgia offensive coordinator. So one of the things I wanted to have David on the show for yesterday was to ask him about, hey, for people who kind of know Bobo as a friend of Kirby Smarts or as a guy who's, um, you know, kind of been around the Georgia program for a while, you've actually worked with him. He has coached you what more can you tell us about Mike Bobo's coaching personality and what David Green, the former terrific Georgia quarterback, said about that? I thought it was really interesting. So uh, this is David Green on Mike Bobo. Yeah, I would say Coach Bobo, his personality demeanor uh, is a lot closer to Kirby. I mean, he is a fiery, competitive guy. I mean, I can only imagine uh, you know Kirby and, and Bobo together. I mean, they, they're extremely competitive. They want to win. Um, you know, he, he's proven time and time again he can really uh, he can score a lot of points. There's no question with that. And I love the fact, I think, Brandon, more than anything, that he's had a year under his belt already. So to hear, and I think a lot of us are kind of you know, aware of this, I guess, to hear the idea that from David Green's standpoint of, oh, my gosh, Mike Bobo, the fiery competitor, a guy who really coaches you hard and really kind of, you know, kind of gets up into your grill a little bit from time to time, that he's really a lot more like Kirby Smart. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, you're like, okay, well, sometimes you sort of think about the idea of the good cop, bad cop, and we kind of know that Kirby Smart kind of plays the role of, you know, very intense figure in the Georgia program. And David Green right there says, having been coached by Mike Bobo, even when Bobo was very young, that from David's perspective, Mike is just like Kirby Smart. Maybe that's why they've you know been, I guess, longtime friends. That he's also really intense as well. And what's funny about that is it also kind of resembles something that Brock Vandergrift told us back during spring practice there too. That when it comes to like casting a big shadow and being an intense figure as a coach. This is something that David Green said he saw from Mike Bobo way back in the early 2000s. This is something that Brock Vandegrift said, you know what, it's still just as true now as it ever was. This is what Vandegrift said back during spring. Coach Bobo, he's uh, he's pretty intense. On the first day he came in the quarterback room, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coach y'all hard, and I, I, hope y'all, I hope y'all are open to that. And, uh, heck, he didn't really give us a choice. He said, I'm going to coach y'all hard, and that's the way it's going to go. And we all said, yes, sir. And uh, I, I think it's been really good just the way he's been coaching us. Uh, he has a reason for everything he does. Uh, his meetings go well and um yes sir so i think that you get a pretty full and clear picture there of the coaching style of mike bobo from david green from early 2000s from brock vandergriff a few weeks ago uh the idea that this guy is going to take the same edge and intensity that kirby smart brings to the entire program 
is going to kind of provide that on the offensive side of the ball too and I, I will tell you you know just kind of talking to people who know some people who know some people who know some people like a couple of things I've sort of heard about Georgia you know over the course of the this summertime is like people kind of around the periphery of the program have been talking about how impressed they've been with some of the summer workouts that Georgia's been going through and yet I've also kind of heard through the grapevine that Kirby's never been more intense and never been more like peeling paint off the walls on a daily basis inside that football building than he has been over the course of the last few weeks so you've got this you know Kirby Smart figure who even after two national championships is still you know kind of standing on a razor's edge as much as he ever has been before bringing the full-fledged intensity each and every day and you've got Brock Vandegrift and David Green saying and Mike Bobo's right there doing the same thing there too which if you kind of think about kind of the overall I guess balance that a program requires I think that makes the job of these position coaches this year pretty interesting and we kind of think of you know Brian McClendon and Todd Hartley and Del McGee and if you just want to keep it the offensive side of the ball for a moment Stacey Sarrells we think about these guys as sort of being good dudes and pretty good advocates, I'm assuming, for the players in their position group. And just given the overall intensity of the Georgia program right now, you know, those guys, you know, kind of being a little bit of a filter for some of that's probably pretty important. And I'm guessing that's kind of a role they probably play here this year. But it's interesting from both Green and then Vandegrift echoing that just how intense that Mike Bobo is going to be as Georgia offensive coordinator. And then one more thing on Mike, and then we'll turn our attention fully to Georgia recruiting. The other thing that David Green kind of brought up is something that Mark Richt, Green's former head coach, also brought up on our show a couple of weeks ago. The idea that you get a guy like Mike Bobo, who is a seasoned coach in his own right, but he also steps back into the role as Georgia offensive coordinator after having apprenticed again uh, at Georgia in the 2022 season. And according to David Green, that experience around this version of Georgia before taking back over as offensive coordinator again, according to a guy who knows the quarterback position as well as anyone could, David says for Mike Bobo, that's incredibly valuable. This is more from yesterday's show. He already understands you know, the terminology they were using from last year. He understands the personality, the personnel of the team. Uh, and he understands probably uh, the way the, what Kirby's looking for. And so I think it's great. You know, I think it's a lot harder sometimes when you're just coming in for the first year and trying to get used to, you know, being around the team and the personnel and how Kirby's doing. But he's already been there for a year. He's got a good feel of what kind of players he's got around him because that's that's key for an office coordinator, right? You're trying to figure out like how mm-hmm. do I maximize, you know, my my team skill set. And uh, and he had a head start because he was already evaluating and drawing up plays last year for the team. That is very, very similar to what Mark Rickson in our show, I believe it was two weeks ago, that who Mike Bobo is a coach right now, returning as Georgia offensive coordinator, is not the same one he was here when, you know, you think about, you know, 2014 and, and before that, I guess, what, 06 through 14. That was the span of time in which Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator, that he's not the same guy that he was then. He's worked with a bunch of different guys over the course of that, you know, sort of post Georgia period. He also watched the way in which Todd Munkin worked a year ago. And you would, of course, lean in and watch that closely because Munkin was so successful. And Munkin's departure undoubtedly leaves big shoes to fill. No one's going to deny that. But I do believe that Mike Bobo more than capable of filling those shoes. We've already seen him have a big impact on Georgia recruiting. And the intensity that David Green talks about and that Brock Vandegrift echoes, that intensity, that competitive fire also, I think, motivates Mike to step in and not just take the Georgia offense from where it was and kind of keep it going but maybe you take it to that next level there as well this is a fun side of the ball to watch for UGA this year deeper at the wide receiver position perhaps we've seen Georgia be best offensive line that Mike Bobo's ever worked with 
almost you would imagine that has to be true. Intriguing quarterback competition. The offensive side of the ball for George is going to be very, very fun. And the impact that Mike Bobo has a chance to make could truly be substantial. We'll make that around the doghouse here today, poured by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. And obviously on a Friday, we're in a good mood. We're rolling into a weekend, one of the last really small handful of weekends we have without football here. And so that means a lot of you going to the pool, you're going fishing, you get the cooler in the, uh, as, you, as you go there, you're going out play golf, whatever else. Whatever you're doing here this particular week, take the finished long drink with you. You've heard me talk about the long drink cranberry before, the long drink strong, 8.5%, alcohol by volume, long drink zero, that's no carbs, no sugar. The long drink traditional, I've always kind of liked that. It's the blue can. I'm a traditional guy, I guess. I'm a traditionalist in all things, including my beverages. The blue can, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, those are all great options for you. But did you know right now, for a limited time only here in the state of Georgia, you can also get the peach-flavored version of the finished long drink there as well. A perfect beverage for the peach state, and it is so great for your summertime fun. So get settled in. Goodness knows it's going to be hot enough outside. Get that cooler really. And I love these new coolers. They, they keep the cans just like ultra-cold. There's something better than like a, just a super ultra cold can of the finished long drink in one of these great new coolers. It just sort of seems to work so much better than the ones it did when we were younger. Uh, great, great stuff. Uh, keep that finished long drink there on ice. Enjoy. If you like mixed drinks, this is a ready to drink cocktail right there in a can. It looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a really fun category of the ready to drink cocktail. You'll love the finished long drink, and you will especially love, I believe, the finished long drink peach flavored version. So make sure you find that online at thelongdrink.com. Great to have them as a part of Around the Doghouse here today. Okay, so before we are done, we may be seeing, I'm going to use a fancier phrase than I should use, a tectonic shift happening in college athletics right now where the Pac-12 is fighting just to survive. And I'm not quite so sure how successful that fight's going to be. Also, an update on where things are heading for uh, a relatively notorious SEC figure who's been in the news a little bit over the course of the last couple of months. We'll cover all of that. And we've got some very, very funny golden shoes to close out our week. Sort of an old school Friday shoes dump for us today. We'll do that here before we're all said and done. But for now, y'all, it is major league rumor mill stuff involving Georgia recruiting. So I want to cover it all. Let's do it here. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We bring on Jeff Sintel, our recruiting insider right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So we'll bring on Jeff Sintel, who I thought had an outstanding episode of Before the Hedge, as presented by Kroger this past Wednesday. And Jeff, a lot to probably unpack from that particular episode, some of the great interviews you have. But I want to begin this way. I thought maybe the most interesting thing about the conversation that you had or some of the conversation that you had on Wednesday made you know us able to enjoy – was the fact that for Georgia fans who are busy, they got families, they got jobs, they're not following Georgia recruiting on a full-time basis. They just simply don't have time to. The DeMarcus Riddick thing this week, Riddick flipping away from Georgia going to Auburn, may have caught them off guard. Now, for people who are reading your content on a regular basis or watching your shows on a regular basis, they're a lot more plugged into that, but not everybody has time to sort of follow every twist and turn of this Georgia recruiting process. So for some people, the Riddick news was new information here this week. 
But to hear Chris Cole on your show, not Chris Cole, excuse me. I see, I knew I was going to be doing this eventually. Chris Jones, two linebackers from Virginia with the same first name is going to cause <laughs> me all kinds of problems. I can tell you that right now. To hear Jones on your show this week saying he'd already been having conversations with Georgia coaches about the Riddick situation and the opportunity that might create for him gives you an idea that while some Georgia fans may have been caught off by the uh, Riddick news, Georgia itself not caught off at all. Other linebackers seeing the Riddick announcement this week as great news because it just meant an opportunity to be a part of what may truly be a historic class, that opportunity may have opened up for them. Definitely. Um, you know, Brandon, what, I'll just tell you what, what I see sometimes, and I don't have to overly report it and hit folks over the head with it. I think I said a while back on um, Before the Hedges where let's, – let's rewind a little bit. Demarcus Riddick committed to Georgia in November. State of Alabama, of course, Alabama and Auburn were a little slow to recruit him the way Georgia did. But then you saw the championship celebration come around. That was January 15th. No Demarcus Riddick. Then you saw G-Day come around uh, when a lot of the commitments came back into the fold. No Demarcus Riddick. So that's going all the way back to April, man, where I kind of wondered what sort of place DeMarcus Riddick still had. When he found a way to hop out of a luxury automobile that we will not plug here, Brandon, uh, abiding by rules, even though we're just getting back off vacation, uh, to go to the uh, Alabama spring game at Bryant-Denny Stadium. At that point, I kind of thought that uh, no matter what the National Recruiting Board said or the commitment, consider DeMarcus So. You have you have Georgia, and this is kind of like I'll use one of your favorite phrases, Brandon. I love it, it's sort of like Georgia, um, and you taking your family to McDowell's the whole time from coming to America, um, <laughs> and you're going to McDowell's all the time, and you have feeling pretty good about the number three linebacker in the country or number two. He slip flopped a little bit with Sammy Brown, but all of a sudden here comes the chance to go to uh, the other namesake traditional franchise. Everyone knows and loves with the Golden Arches. And Georgia somehow goes from the number three linebacker in the country to the number one linebacker in the country. Brilliantly staged, by the way, a couple days before where, you know, when you lose a five-star linebacker and you don't even really have to blink because earlier in the week you already upgraded that slot to the nation's number one linebacker. Brandon, I think um, I had the greatest dessert of my entire existence as a human on this earth. It's called a... Eliza de Limon, a lemon delight in Italy. And it was amazing. It was fantastic. But I come back and I plug back into the recruiting network that served me so well over the last seven or eight years. And I think Georgia's recruiting class is going to wind up even better than that. It's going to wind up better than a Eliza de Limon on the shores of the Amalfi Coast in Italy. Because you can just name it. You can just picture it. You can imagine it. All incredible possibilities of six or seven names left in the class for Georgia right now are certainly possible. All right. I want to follow up on two things on on that for a moment. First of all, you know, I kind of start this off by kind of referencing uh, Christopher Jones, who I believe we're heading for a Sunday announcement on that. How much are Georgia fans going to lean in on this Jones announcement when it comes out here? Lean in pretty hard. I mean, this is a different type of kid. Uh, Son of a minister. Training is very important to him. Faith is very important to him. Uh, and he didn't really like all of the theatrics of recruiting, Brandon. He took three official visits, one to old friend Mel Tucker, one to Florida, and maybe not so old friend Billy Napier, and then you got the Georgia Bulldogs. He only needed three. Three was all he needed. Georgia has consistently made him a priority. 
he had known about George's status with Riddick. He had really stressed for the longest time. He even told me in June Georgia was his leader. They'd moved ahead strictly because of the NFL development. And this is a young man, Brandon. When you start looking at all the tea leaves and you start going CSI dog nation to try to figure out what's going on, when you hear a recruit tell me that he wants the work, he's ready for the work, and he needs the work at a place like Georgia, and the, the fact that Georgia works as hard as it does excites him, that seems like a guy that's fit to play in and fit to wear that power G on his helmet. Okay, so I've got so much to do. I, I, I can't spend a ton of time on this, but I, I am curious because you mentioned this a moment ago there as well. This is away from Georgia a little bit, but the video that's out there of Riddick being chauffeured right to the entrance of the stadium for the Alabama A-Day game, I think gives you an idea of how much Alabama had put the full-court press on Riddick and ultimately lost him to Auburn. To me, that's the bigger story involving the Demarcus Riddick decommitment this week. Jeff, just simple language, few words, we'll move on. Is there something wrong with Alabama recruiting right now, or is this just something that Georgia fans are kind of playing around with uh, just for the fun during the summer? I think the biggest thing for me, and we wrote in the story, Brandon, is it's not Auburn, excuse me, it's not Alabama is dipping or Georgia is, you know, took shot across the bow. I think it's more a matter of Auburn is back. I think the Auburn machine, the Auburn faithful, the Auburn family are rallied behind this new coach. And when it comes to collectives, when it comes to NILs, I think that's probably the biggest story here. Not a dip from Alabama, but a rise from Auburn. Uh, fair enough. Uh, shifting gears, uh, probably the most newsy thing to happen from a recruiting standpoint this week may have been some public comments by uh, five-star athlete K.J. Bolden. You and I both were at the really, I thought, a great event our friends at Score Atlanta helped put on. I was a part of that. Uh, you were, of course, uh, there in coverage, too. The first-ever Georgia High School Football Media Day, K.J. Bolden was there. We played some of the clips from your interview with Bolden during our show yesterday. And, Jeff, the statement that I'm comfortable making here is, is if I was going to make an online prediction, I don't do crystal balls, things like that, but if I was going to, um, I'd pick K.J. Bolden to go to Georgia. I don't mind risking my reputation on that opinion a little bit, but I would not bet my mortgage on it, something that would cost me money if I was wrong. I don't believe I would do that. And I thought the interview, whether it's intentional, he's just trying to you know kind of create the drama, or whether it is a reflection of what the actual facts are, you know, it seems like Georgia's in a good position here. Georgia fans, I believe they think the Bolden's coming to UGA. But when he makes a statement to the effect of, hey, within the last, I believe he said, couple of weeks, a coach kind of got in his ear and kind of got him to to sort of think a different way than he was otherwise thinking before. You know, you think about the, the pursuit of Ohio State here, the way in which Florida State, I guess, tries to get involved. I believe there's some online chatter he may go to Auburn here this weekend that – I don't know. It, it seems like you have to leave at least a little bit of a door open for a little bit of mystery involving the uh, Bolden decision on August 5th. What do you make of the current state of the K.J. Bolden set of affairs? You were obviously with him this week. Yeah, Brendan. So you mean your mind didn't take you to that? That was Kirby Smart telling him to back off his recruitment until August the 5th because the dogs need more commitment <laughs> in August and July was full. You mean you, your mind didn't immediately go there, my friend? That's not what you were thinking? Um, I, you know, with K.J., this is what I will say. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm going through my brain, and I'm trying to get stuff in my mind to provide the proper perspective on the closing finish of this recruitment. I feel kind of comfortable saying that if Georgia does not win the Bolden race here, this is probably the most invested Kirby Smart has been in a recruit 
that Georgia did not win, especially since Georgia has a national championship in the trophy case. I mean, what's something that we've been doing for years and years, Brandon, following the visits? 16 visits to a two-time national champion that are about an hour away that prioritizes you greatly. And I think one of the things I was glad to show folks, besides just the written word with Bolden here, was just what the depth of conviction, what it sounds like coming out of K.J. Bolden's um, mouth when he talks about Kirby Smart, man. I think that's real. I think that's genuine. I think that's not something that he's trying to get a best Oscar best actor in a recruiting uh, narrative, a picture documentary for. I think that's real. I think he has a true relationship with Kirby Smart. He said it sort of feels like a brother. It sort of feels like family. And I think should Georgia win, um, should Georgia win this race for K.J. Bolden, especially when he made those comments that NIL is not going to be a major tell for him or a major uh, change agent for him in his decision. I think uh, that relationship with Kirby Smart will probably be the reason why. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because he did talk as much about Kirby Smart as you almost hear any recruit talking about anymore, where it's like, you know, nine times out of ten, when a player commits to Georgia, it's praise going to the direction of a Fran Brown or a Glenn Schumann or a Todd Hartley or whatever else. You know, the position coaches have played such a big role in all of these recruiting wins. But, boy, it's really Kirby Smart himself that Bolden talked a lot about uh, here in that particular interview, which I think is an important tale. I also think, you know, your statement there about the NIL stuff is kind of interesting because what I heard, you know, from uh, uh, in this particular conversation with Bolden was obviously he acknowledges the long range money you can make in the NFL is clearly more money, the long term payoff. But, you know, he did mention the idea of NIL being a factor. And sometimes we don't even really hear Georgia recruits even bring up the topic of NIL. So on the one hand, he clearly seems to have his ducks in a row in terms of the best opportunity for the biggest payday coming after college. But it's not like he didn't pretend NIL existed either, right? Yeah, I think it's a consideration. I think that's just something – sometimes, Brandon, when recruits talk about NIL – it is almost either the acquisition of NIL or the lure of NIL or perhaps turning down higher NIL as they, NIL as they make their decision. That's what I hear from recruits all the time is like, I know if I go here, I'll make more, but I know if I go here, that's the place where I feel most comfortable that they will ensure that I reach my future of shaking Roger Goodell's hands, uh, hand on uh, the stage and playing on Sundays. I will find it interesting, Brandon. This might be the first time I've ever heard you talk about, uh, and my creative mind went in this direction. There, some folks have crystal balls, but it sounds like you're ready to go go out and trot out a crystal BA, a crystal <laughs> BA here for, for KJ Bolden. <laughs> We may do something with that, Jeff. That's actually not not a uh, bad idea. Let me give you one more on bold, and then we got more we got to talk about here for a second. I was not at the event when Buford was there. I didn't get there until after they had already left. Uh, but a lot of people are kind of sharing the video stuff with me of whether it be KJ saying go dogs or almost slipping up and you know providing what some people thought was a little bit of a reveal there. I'm typically on guard about stuff like that. That, to me, is Owen Popo wearing a bunch of Georgia gear around Grayson High School before he committed to Auburn. Like, there's an element of some of that kind of stuff that sort of feels like an intentional swerve. Am I, am I on the wrong path with that? What did you make of some of the, I guess, more subliminal stuff that may have gone on uh, around Bolden this week? Yeah, the subliminals, Brandon, were definitely uh, subliminating. I'm making up words there, but I'm just trying to 
show you something there. But I was there, Brandon. I, it, it really felt that there was, uh, whether it's amongst his teammates or it's, you know, kind of maybe led by Dylan Raiola at the same time, you know, there's already two very strong Georgia commitments in the Buford High program. And it's funny. Yeah. I think somehow the Buford High curse still exists on message boards, and that's probably the greatest ecosystem that, that thrives in terms of Buford High not being a Georgia pipeline, and certainly there's reasons that would indicate that it is not. But at the same time, you've got Jaden Perlotti, who's a five-star yeah. in the 2025 class. He's linebacker. good. Jeff, he's they, good. He's good. Super good. And you know what, Brandon? It sounds like, you know, in some weird way, it's almost like he's had an uncle named Brandon talking to him a lot about Georgia because he really loves the dogs, and Riola really loves the dogs. And so there are two really good yin-yangs on both sides of the ball that are strong, you know, I guess we I'll use some Star Wars stuff because I know you love talking about Star Wars, but you know the, the 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 dark side may be somewhere in the Buford High locker room, but there's some there's some Jedi Master Bulldogs in that locker room as well in terms of Riola and uh, Perlotti. And I'll say this, I, I can say speak with accuracy here that I did hear the term KJ, I did hear the term Go Dogs come out of KJ KJ Bolden's mouth at least once while he was leaving the premises at the IBEW headquarters down there in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And that was actually while I was talking to Jaden Perlotti. So, like, Jaden Perlotti liked the sound of that. So certainly he'll have two teammates very enthused uh, about his selection on August the 5th if he does decide to ride with the red and black. All right, let's talk about Dylan Riola here for a moment because he obviously kind of made, I guess, what I'll call his debut in a Buford uniform at this particular event. I'm curious of a couple of things here. First of all, what's his reaction to the way in which we sort of treat Georgia high school football? That's got to be a little bit different than it is, you know, way out there in uh, Arizona. And the second thing is, and I talked to Terrence Edwards about this a little bit yesterday, you know, Jeff – Buford's got a state championship to win and Buford has a history with a lot of great players throughout the years this is not a throw the ball all over the yard type of team you know what kind of senior year do you expect Ryle to have here in Georgia and I guess how did you find him uh this week when you had a chance to talk to him uh two words professional and polished uh I think Ryle I don't know whether he's been coached or he goes in with a sentiment that he's just trying to do the right thing by people. And the more it sounded to me, and this is my own interpretation here, the more he gushed about how Georgia was, Georgia high school football was different or the Buford high practices were different or the speed of the game was different, then that was in some ways um, not a compliment for Arizona high school football in general. And I don't think Riola really wants to go there. And I, I can't fault him for that. If, if that's actually what he's doing, that's something to appreciate and respect. But, He kept saying the term to me, football is football. Like, you're still going to go out there. You still got a mic to identify. You still got to, you know, see what the coverage is, watch the safeties, what get your pre-snap read, set your protection. And he's very much a thinking man's quarterback, despite all the the accolades that come his way. And, you know, Brendan, there's a story I've got to write sometime, which I feel is the A to Z about what, what everyone is missing about Riola. And I'll say this pretty strongly. Everybody talks about what Riola is not. And when he throws an incompletion or he doesn't look good in a drill or everybody goes, gasp, that's the number one quarterback in the country. I want folks to remember when they look at Riola, they should know that this is a young man that never played quarterback at all until his ninth grade season. And that was JV football. And then he had a 10th grade season. And then he had an 11th grade season. So this guy, even though he's rated number one in the country, 
you got to remember, Brandon, these are prospects. They're not how good they are now. It's how good they will be when they're eligible for the NFL draft. And I think the gulf of how great Dylan Raiola is now and, and then how far he can still grow and get better, I think that's what should get Georgia football fans and Dog Nation really excited. He's already rated number one in the country when he's pretty much got at least three or four years fewer than every other five-star Elite 11 quarterback out there playing that position. I think Buford will help him. He told me that Buford is a perfect fit for his skills and his system. He likes the system at Buford better than some of the ones he's already quarterbacked and captained in the past. And he, he, he was very excited. I think he showed, he showed me some, a picture on his phone where he had some film of early Buford opponents. And he had his iPad out, and he had his notepad out, and he was watching some film, and he had the clicker. Just go ahead and immersing himself in quarterback knowledge, that quarterback nerd-type stuff he needs to know, film room junkie. And that is such an amazing statement to see or hear because this is a guy, when everybody looks at Dylan Raiola, they gush about the tools. They gush about the prototype size. They gush about the football DNA from his father. They gush about the big arm and the platform throws and the off-platform throws. But this is a young man that is going to think the quarterback position or at least put the effort and energy into it as much as anything he's going to do in terms of throwing a ball 70 yards. All right, I want to finish with a chat about the defensive line situation. And this is pretty juicy right now, I'd say. you got online chatter about a big-time defensive lineman visiting Georgia this week, but you've also got – a lot of online chatter about a couple of defensive line targets not taking high-profile visits, I guess. Uh, let, let's see if we can cover this. You know, williams Winery apparently not going to Oklahoma. Georgia fans t- tr- uh, take that as a good thing by not going. I mean, not visiting to Oklahoma. They take that as a good thing. Uh, Breland, the uh, guy at a Mater D, maybe not going to Texas A&M. That's been kind of talked about. Uh, I guess LJ McCray from Daytona coming up, seeing Georgia maybe. Uh, it seems like there is a lot happening with defensive line recruitment right now, Jeff. All I know is the online chatter. But tell me what's what what really is happening here with what looked to be three major targets with, I guess, varying interest possibly in UGA. Give me give give me the insight here on this. Yeah, I think you got three different guys that at three different points have really loved the thought of going to Georgia. Brandon, I have to laugh because Georgia football recruiting, it seems that they find new levels of greatness and grandeur. But we've reached the point now where you remember four or five years ago when people were like, Georgia needs to get a visit from this guy or Georgia needs to get him back on campus so he can fall deeper in love. But now it's like the things that get folks incited on the online chatter world is he's not going there. He's not going out with so-and-so this weekend. And that, that some sort of that feeling there tends to think that Georgia's going to hold serve or nobody's going to gain ground or nobody's going to come in with a huge new NIL offer. Uh, I, I, I'm under the belief, Brandon, and I've kind of said this on Hedges for a while, that I think of the three, uh, McCray, man, if McCray goes to Georgia, Brandon, this is a top ten pick all over again. Mm-hmm. Same thing for Winery. you got Breland as well. I've said, I've felt kind of internally for a while that Georgia was going to get at least one of those three, and then in my thought it became two of those three. And now I think there's really this, the true possibility that they can get three out of those three. Wow. I just wonder if Georgia was able to land Winery and McCray, whether that would just be enough for Breland to say, you know, maybe I should find another spot. But that might be something for Breland to go, nah, I want to be a part of this destructive wrecking crew. 
type defensive line because Brandon numbers are all going to work. It, I, there's always a ebb and, ebb and flow and a cause and effect in recruiting. So when Sean Washington transfers out and when Bear, Bear Alexander transfers out and Georgia's 2022 class looks very light, uh, in the 2023, they didn't go gangbusters in terms of internal, internal kind of defensive line three, four, five techniques because all they have is Ja Jarrett and all they had was Jordan Big Davy Hall as well. It does bode well for Georgia to kind of load up with maybe four or five elite defenders, trench mob guys in 2024. And I want to do this. This has got to be, um, this has got to be make sure we don't do re- recruiting analyst malpractice. Brandon, the thought of adding two of those three names or three of those three names to Joseph Jonah Ajanye, 6'5 now, 275, and Jordan Thomas. Brandon, if Jordan Thomas played anywhere else except New Jersey, if he played in Villa Rica, if he played in Carrollton, if he played in Florida, he'd be talked about as a top 50 overall prospect as well. You just don't see guys like that, that at that size that move so well. And then another guy we saw, we have to mention his name, Brandon, because he does not get enough respect, I think, amongst the fan base, is Quintavious Johnson at Mays. Sure. Quintavious, you see him you see him rocking that um, Mays tie and that sport jacket, the way all the Mays Raiders showed up for that event on uh, Wednesday. And that, I'm going to tell you, that's another guy that you sit there and say, him plus the University of Georgia, in my mind, says that guy is going to be an NFL, NFL early-round draft pick one day. He is an absolute freak of a person, uh, of, a, of a prospect. And he is so wired right to go in in Georgia and succeed and thrive. It, it seems like some of the stuff that's happening here along the defensive line, if you ever play like Daily Fantasy or something like that, you know the theory of sometimes you go stars and scrubs where it's like you put a lot of money in, you know, into one big name and you may have to kind of populate around that big name with some lesser players. It seems like that's the biggest threat to George when it comes to stuff like this. Like, look at williams Winery as an example of this. It's like, you know, you hear about Missouri being a factor for his recruitment. You know, Oklahoma's not really, you know, what they once were. It's like, you know, these programs, they can't pull an elite class right now, but they can put all their eggs in one basket and go after that elite player, maybe for Breland, you know, maybe for Winery. It seems like that's the biggest threat to Georgia, whereas Georgia's got obviously the most to sell, but what Georgia can't do that an Oklahoma Oklahoma or a Missouri or even right now even a Texas A&M what programs like that can do is hey we can make you a priority in a way that Georgia cannot because Georgia's got so many other great prospects it seems like late in the process that's the battle here for Georgia a lot of programs who are kind of putting all of the eggs in what I'll call their NIL basket in the direction of maybe like one or two players because that's their best chance at success is that also what you see happening yeah, Brandon, that's kind of like uh, Major League Baseball salary cap. If you spend all your money on a number one starter, then you won't have the ability to go get an elite closer or an elite third baseman or corner infielder for your lineup. Maybe you have to go with a, the rookie developmental guy or a platoon there. Or a platoon there. That's what I kind of see where – and it's a situation. Let, let's say the Winery recruitment, uh, the home, home fires start burning as well as the NIL collective at Mizzou starts, starts churning. And let's say Georgia – doesn't win that recruitment. Well, that's going to just increase the odds of Georgia getting getting in on and maybe securing the Breland and securing the commitment from a guy like L.J. McCray, Brandon. When you see L.J. McCray, I think I think the things I've heard and people that have that have talked to him at some length and scouted him at some length, you're going to look at him and he's going to look every bit of six feet seven inches, man. And that's a guy you get him to Georgia, you get him iron sharpening iron for three or four years in Athens and. That's a future 
top 10, top 15 pick, and you add it to what Georgia's got, and it's it's just crazy. I've got a piece that I'm working on. I started out with something simple, but kind of the way things go in your work, when you start out one way and it kind of yeah. mushrooms into something else, uh, I really have found, having been doing this since 2015, on the ground floor and watching every Georgia recruiting class and saying, okay, that's a little bit different in the matrix here than years past, or that's something, that's anomaly I haven't seen before. Georgia is finding ways to, like I, like I keep want, wanting to come back to say, there was the land speed record or there was the sonic the, the sound barrier for, for Georgia recruiting that I think, okay, that's it. That's probably all they're going to get. And somehow they can find more RPMs. They can find more horsepower under the hood to be even more impressive in certain select areas. Brendan, here's a quick little teaser about that. You will look on the field from the Sanford Stadium press box. Of course, it's going to be in the west end zone now, not the traditional one uh, in years to come. You will look down and see a Georgia defense, and there will be a top five overall prospect at that position at every position on the Georgia defense. And then the backup, even projecting whether it's this guy or this guy or this guy, the backup should also be a top ten player at their position. You're going to look at a team, a defense, and you're going to have the option to put in a top 100 overall player, an, an All-American, a top five player, or a top ten player at every position on the defense. And that's if and only if another Georgia three-star special doesn't come in and beat one of those guys out and rise to the top in terms of Georgia football. That doesn't happen, Brandon. It hasn't happened. And that's why a guy like me who's trying not to sound like a, a yard barker or, or the kid on the corner trying to sell newspapers with the latest, greatest headlines with some sizzles. But it's better. They're going to be better. They're going to have better players. And the, the wonderful part of this equation is better players is cool, but you better develop, develop the kids like nobody else in the country. And Georgia already does that. That's why I feel so confident in making a statement like that. All right, two very quick things before we let you go, because this has been, you know, the Frost-Nicks interview in terms of length thus far first of all a moment ago you said uh keeping the home fires burning always up for a classic country gold reference there's always room for a ronnie Millsap uh reference in a show like this so thumbs up there on that and then uh when it comes to the topic at hand one final thing here we've already seen georgia pull a pair of teammates in this 2024 class do you think the breland stuff has any impact on nate frazier or is it frazier that's impacting breland or are these two separate things all the way around because i tell you right now uh, more and more Georgia fans are watching this Nate Frazier tape at running back. Uh, this is another very, very hot name for these Georgia fans right now. As great as that Frazier tape is, Brandon, you know, modern day, they've got another running back, a five-star, who's been pegged as the number one running back in the country in 2025. That guy's also on the same team. So as good as Frazier looks, he's not the clear 1A bell cow for his high school team. To answer your question, Brandon, let's go. Let's go. Super double jeopardy witness stands type witness stand type stuff. There's a there's a real possibility that you want to talk about continuity and chemistry. Georgia could have four sets of high school teammates on this 2024 recruiting class that's ranked number one in the country by far. That's the two. That, that's Breland and Frazier out of modern day. Neither one of those is committed yet. That's potentially Riola and and the K.J. Bolden out of Buford. They've got Joseph Jonah Ajanye and then also Justin Williams uh, as well. I mean, you just start stacking all these names together. One Is one set of teammates possible? Is two set of teammates possible? Is three set of teammates possible? Brennan, anything is possible with this class and this staff right now. 
Really fun stuff and a great way to close it all out. By the way, shout out to our uh, great coach. I know you and I both are fans of Maurice Dixon. He's taking Creekside to California to play this year. They will play anybody they beat east st louis a year ago creekside going all the way out to california to play uh matter day this year uh that like, that, like the whole idea of playing anybody anywhere anytime like the creekside football team here in the atlanta area they take that doubly serious uh more than so than anybody else so shout out to coach dixon taking his team out there to play mater d this year uh or modern day however you say it. uh either way uh fun stuff jeff thanks for being here today we will look forward to reading plenty more from you dognation.com and perhaps hearing from you before the weekend is done there as well if things go georgia's way on the commitment front thank you for your time jeff Hey, Brandon, quick quality control because I've already got a text from somebody about it. Real-time uh, engagement here with the Dog Nation Daily Program. I did not say the fourth set of teammates because those two were already in the fold. That's five-star cornerback Ellis Robinson the fourth at ING Academy. And now Showtime Nitro Tuggle, the wide receiver who may well, very well wind up, wind up a, a borderline five-star in the 2024 class as well at wide receiver. He is playing his senior year at IMG Academy as well. That's how four teammates could be possible. Just had to do a little quick quality control there for everybody out there. Real-time fact-checking. Boy, you love to see that. Hey, uh, good stuff, Jeff. Have a good weekend. We will talk to you soon. Take it easy, brother. See you later. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right. Admittedly, that was a long one, but I think it was worth it. I, I, I think we got some good information. It probably needed, just given all that's going on there. And the stuff around the defensive line, between Breland and McCray and Winery. You know, the Winery thing, I really don't even know what to make of all that. But, you know, I'm inter- I'm entertained. I'm, in- I'm into it. I'm watching it, and we'll see where it goes. And, you know, Jeff did not wave the white flag on any of those recruiting battles on behalf of George. And as I told Jeff, Frazier, the running back, I mean – that is a that is a very very hot name behind the scenes with Georgia fans here right now. People really like him, and if he you know goes George's way, Georgia fans are gonna be really really happy. And the other thing is, and we could you know do this stuff all day long. Jeff kind of points out is that I think the the player that's been in the fold here for a while as a commitment that's getting the benefit of kind of a a new consideration right now. Maybe Nitro Tuckle. It does sound like he's really kind of rocketing up the boards here right now. So. That is kind of fun to consider. Now, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Fun to think about one of these Royal Caribbean cruises here in 2024. And the cool thing that, as I think about what we kind of go into the weekend is, is that one of the things that Royal Caribbean, I think, really is like really dominating on right now are these kind of shorter cruises. Because let's face it, you know, sometimes for me, you know, I'm an experienced cruiser. I like that, you know, after the season. A lot of times you just want to kind of get away, unplug from it all. And really in a situation like that, for me anyway, the best way to do that is a seven-night cruise. I kind of go off the grid a little bit, kind of unplug my phone a little bit, and just kind of just sort of get into that and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. And think about the debut of Icon of the Seas in January of 2024. That's going to be seven-night cruises. For a lot of folks, that sort of full week seven-night cruise is the best thing to do. But there's an entirely different category of cruiser and sometimes i'm also in this category there as well which is i got kids my son's into baseball my daughter's into gymnastics my wife's got a thousand things going on schedules can be tough to coordinate and so sometimes all you have is the weekend and short drive from where we are in uh, port canaveral right there sort of past orlando you've got some great opportunities on those short three and four night cruises days of friday you get on the ship on a friday you get back on a monday you go to work that day if you wanted to 
uh, you know, working remotely, whatever else. But I mean, you don't you it, it, you don't miss that much time. Now you may be on for three days. You're like, boy, I wish I'd been on board longer. But if you've only got a few days to devote to cruising. Royal Caribbean kind of dominates that sort of three-night, four-night cruise. It's what our Dog Nation cruise is going to be coming up next April. But you've also got the weekend kind of cruise stuff, too. In fact, when they debut Utopia of the Seas next July, that's a brand-new Oasis-class ship that's going to be devoted to the three- and the four-night sailings. That's how much Royal Caribbean's investing into those short cruises, either for first-time cruisers who kind of want to take that first step or for folks who just are busy. And like I said before, sometimes all you can find are those sort of three and four nights kind of devote to that cruise experience. No one does the short cruises better than Royal Caribbean. So reach out to Jessica Slater. She's a great travel agent. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Also, royaldogs.com. That's her website, information for the Dog Nation Cruise. You can get that from her there, royaldogs.com. More on that. All right, a couple of interesting stories here. Uh, so we have a response in the Pac-12 to the news we gave you yesterday that Colorado is leaving. Uh, you know, it kind of waited around for information on the media rights deal. Never really came. Colorado has bolted to go back to the Big 12, the league they were in prior to coming to the Pac-12. Uh, and the Pac-12 has now released a statement about next steps for this organization. I'm going to read this to you. It says, this is the beginning of the statement. The Pac-12 is Comp- not compromised comprised excuse me they may be compromised as well but the word here is comprised the pac-12 is comprised of world leading universities and athletic programs see to me this is kind of the problem with the pac-12 which is you know they are so into their academics there's nothing wrong with academics of course um nothing wrong with that but there's a certain like arrogance i think the pac-12 sort of approaches this kind of stuff with of hey we're all fancy institutions we are into research you know the the aau the organization of universities they're all really proud of the fact that you know they're all really really you know strong academically and they sort of treat academics as more important than sports and all this kind of stuff and they've rejected members throughout the you know potential members of the league throughout the years because they didn't quite feel like those schools were up to snuff academically compared to what the pac-12 was and as i said before i'm not against academics uh obviously you want to be as smart as you can be of course but if you want to kind of pretend to play that game of sort of being above all this from an academic standpoint, when the athletic stuff passes you by, then you need to sleep in the bed that you made for yourself. And I think in some respects, that's what the Pac-12 is doing here. You, they go on to say, we share a commitment to developing the next generation of leaders, supporting student athletes, academic athletic excellence and broad based athletic success. We remain one more thing here, too the idea of broad-based athletic success that's code language for we care more about football uh and we care more than just about football and if you want to go back to one of the greatest failures in the history of television not just you know college sports but the history of television in particular was the pac-12 network the pac-12 kind of got a jump on some with its network and made a huge tactical error they had a calculated decision they were going to kind of try to create extra exposure for what they thought was one of their most valuable assets which was their olympic sports things like that you know truly this is not a joke i'm being serious you know a lot of pac-12 schools have had a lot of success in kind of olympic style non-revenue sports and the pac-12 sort of thought of itself as 
that's one of the things that made the league distinctive is they wait we're more than football you know those rednecks down south all they care about is football but we are into like rowing and stuff like that and so they're gonna put all that stuff on television and the pac-12 network ended up being one of the most grotesque failures that that media has ever produced and once again it's the bed the pac-12 has made they are now forced to sleep in it um they go on to say in this particular statement we remain committed to our shared values and continuing to invest in our student athletes today's decision by colorado has done nothing to disrupt that commitment. We're focused on concluding our media rights deal and securing our continued success and growth. Immediately following the conclusion of our media rights deal, we will embrace expansion opportunities and bring new fans, markets, and excitement and value to the Pac-12. Now, some of you are aware of this, that we've been waiting on the Pac-12 to announce a media rights deal for months and months and months here. Uh, The last straw on this was supposed to be uh, at Pac-12 Media Days recently, and it's still not able to be shared and produced. And the longer this goes on, the more you're left to conclude that in terms of like real money on real television networks, it's just not there for the Pac-12. They're going to have to settle for a streamer, which essentially will make them irrelevant in the eyes of kind of the average college football consumer because it's fine to put an NFL playoff game on, like, say, Peacock. This year there's going to be one because NFL fans will seek that out. And it's okay to put wrestling, like WrestleMania, on a streamer because, once again, diehard, hardcore pro wrestling fans will go seek that out. The same thing with, like, UFC on ESPN Plus or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, why does Netflix and what do you call it, Max or whatever now, why do they spend so much money on a lot of these shows? It's because you create a buzzworthy show, people will go seek it out. But the Pac-12 right now does not have enough buzz for people to go seek it out. If it buries itself on some streamer somewhere, then literally the only people who watch it will be Pac-12 fans, and there just aren't very many Pac-12 fans left. Um, we also know that when it, when it comes to Pac-12 expansion, the expansion idea they have had is a, is a San Diego State. Uh, that, that's the kind of waters they've been swimming in in terms of potential expansion. So what you have here is a situation where you got to try to figure out, okay, what's the – division of the revenue of the Pac-12 moving forward you've got a couple of teams Washington and Oregon which have far greater stature than the other teams in the league right now Oregon you probably realize because of the Nike connection Washington's a bigger fan base and a bigger you know college sports entity than you might think in fact they're actually a top 20 recruiting team more often you might think there as well like Washington's kind of a real football program even though they're stuck way up in the Pacific Northwest uh probably a bigger overall level level of support you might think so there's some thought of well okay well you give extra money to Washington extra money to uh Oregon but guess what you've got the teams at the bottom part of the league right now who if they see that you better believe they're looking to bolt because the real danger of the Pac-12 and obviously this statement glosses over this is that now that the lowest team on the Pac-12 ladder the lowest rung of that ladder Colorado has bolted then the team that was next in line on that becomes the most likely to leave now too and that's probably Arizona more so than an Arizona State or a Utah Utah is sort of you know kind of I guess sort of recommitted itself to the Pac-12 here recently so the next team the bottom rung of the Pac-12 ladder is probably Arizona and Arizona folks are very non-committal right now so if Arizona follows Pac, uh, Colorado and leaving the Pac-12 and going to the Big 12, then my best guess is the entire league just dissolves. Now, the problem for Oregon-Washington is they have no invitation to the Big 10. The Big 10's had every opportunity to invite them and hasn't done it. So I don't believe Oregon and Washington are going to the Big 10. Could they come to the SEC? I don't know. We're going to take a road trip to Seattle anytime in this league's future? I, I don't know. 
but I do believe the Pac-12 is hanging on by a string right now, and I think it is quite foreseeable the entire league dissolves. I'm going to say it one more time what I said yesterday. This is one of those things the national media has gotten wrong from the word go. There was this perception out there that the Pac-12 was somehow stronger than the Big 12 for reasons that were never obvious to any kind of like regular-minded folk that – you know, Big 12 fans were like, why should the Pac-12 be stealing from us and bolstering itself? Why couldn't we steal from them? Guess what? The average fan kind of got this right. Those kind of out west who care about this kind of stuff, it is the Big 12 that's had some shrewd maneuverings post-Texas and Oklahoma, losing those two flagship schools. The Big 12's made some strong moves. They are now in a position to, if not more than just survive, they may thrive, and the Pac-12 may no longer exist. One more quick story to give you, and this is a little bit of a, I guess, a you know, an interesting footnote to a story we've been following, the fact that Jeremy Pruitt has now taken a job as a high school PE teacher. Of course, he kind of came up the ranks of high school. He was Rush Probe's defensive coordinator there at Hoover, uh, worked his way up to the top of the coaching profession, and now going back to uh, Plainview High School in Rainsville, Alabama. I guess Pruitt's father also works there. So Pruitt's going to be a PE teacher and I guess do some uh, coaching there too. And, you know, I said before that I realized that for a lot of Georgia fans, Pruitt's a fairly distasteful figure because of the way he behaved when he was working at Georgia and also maybe just being a part of some SEC rival programs, whatever else. But I thought the way the Tennessee thing played out was really unfair to Pruitt. The idea the institution saves itself, you know, kind of using the cover from the NCAA, and a guy like Pruitt gets the 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 book sort of thrown at him a six-year show cause a one-year suspension over the course of that six-year period on the first year of any job that he's hired for that essentially makes Jeremy Pruitt unhirable if it wasn't for this NCAA stuff Pruitt would probably be Alabama defense coordinator right now but as it stands for the next six years he's unhirable so why is he taking this job at the high school level does he just love the game and want to be around it does he need the money? My guess is he probably doesn't. Does he need the health insurance? Maybe there's a chance that's true. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but interesting to see Pruitt, you know, kind of continuing his coaching life here and, you know, taking this job here uh, at an Alabama high school. So for now, Pruitt not going to probably be a figure in major college athletics. Does he get back to the NFL? He did work with the Giants. Was the Giants, I think, uh, last year, 2021? Or, or sometime in, in, in the in recent years he's worked in the nfl so we'll we will see where all of this goes uh, jeremy pruitt obviously dealing with a show cause that probably locks him out of college football for the very near future but back in alabama uh around a high school program again teaching pe so kind of coming full circle for jeremy pruitt right now and we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean i tell you before we play the music i've got a bunch of golden shoes today so let's do let's do the shoes and then we'll fire up the music after that go ahead and throw the first one out there our buddy ryan walker sends this and you know the idea of some crying florida fans right now seems like there are a lot of those because of the success that george is having ryan's caption says when that 1980 isn't 1980ing like it used to yeah, for a lot of Florida fans who like to make fun of Georgia's long national title drought, guess what? All of a sudden, it's the Florida title drought that starts to feel a little bit longer. And uh, Ryan Walker is absolutely right about that. Very funny stuff indeed. Next one on the screen, John Paul Williams, who's always a great uh, you know, commenter and tweeter and everything else, shares some beautiful artwork here. He says it's his good friend, Haddon McKinney, just completed this, uh, celebrating the dogs' back-to-back national championships. Can't get over how good it is. Super talented. Yeah, great. Uh, artist rendition here of the Georgia back-to-back you see the dog uh there kind of resting on the hammock 
sunglasses being raised up, beverage in hand. I'm going to trust that's a finished long drink. So uh, very good stuff for John Paul Williams. Also, Haddon McKinney, great artist, sharing all of that. Uh, John, thanks for that. It's a really cool thing to be able to see here today, and we'll give a golden shoe in that direction, too. How about our next one? Speaking of the finished long drink, follower of Christ, South GA Dog 13 on uh, Twitter, sharing us a mom-and-pop convenience store in Orlando. Boy, look how good and cold and enjoyable that finished long drink is i see the cranberry i see the traditional with the grapefruit flavor that is good stuff south ga thanks for sharing that indeed love seeing the finished long drink down there in orlando florida uh maybe driving through there on your way to port canaveral on the way to a royal caribbean cruise you're gonna get another sponsor in on that too uh george on tap shared this mark sloniker of course a former georgia basketball player and former georgia basketball radio analyst on the subject of the baseball hall of fame this kind of came up that uh scott Rowland. Uh, and Fred McGriff both had a tie to UGA. So George on tap uh, said that, you know, Roland could have been a hoop dog. And then I guess uh, uh, McGriff had his sort of tie to Georgia baseball there as well. So kind of a cool Georgia tie-in to the Baseball Hall of Fame stuff from last week, which is really fun. And for me, I'll always remember, like Fred McGriff was one of my favorite players before he came to Atlanta. You know, just big slugging first baseman. You just kind of enjoyed him in Toronto and then San Diego. When the Braves traded for him in 92, one of the most thrilling things I can really ever remember. Just super exciting there on that. Incredible to see. So uh, great to see both Roland and McGriff going to the Baseball Hall of Fame and the great tie that I was not aware of they had with Georgia Athletics, both on the baseball front and the uh, basketball front, especially in the case of Roland. I didn't know that at all. Then one final golden shoe to give you here today. I think it's really funny. So Thad Stokes sent this to me. So he said his daughter is attending a team volleyball camp at, uh, at a, quote, university that will not be named. At least she was raised right. And so I don't think I'm doxing a high school girl by showing you this because he shared it with me. But it's uh, a picture of the Florida volleyball camp T-shirt. And she sends this back to her dad that says, I feel gross. And uh, she says, I'll only wear this if I have to have a gun to my head. And he says, you're going to need a shower when you get home. And don't, don't bring that in the house. So and she kind of laughs back at that. So incredibly funny stuff there from uh, the Stokes family about the uh, Florida T-shirt. You got to think that's a, a pretty funny thing to be able to see. And yeah, a lot of high school kids going around to these camps here right now, and you get these T-shirts for some of these schools you don't really want to wear. And I would certainly uh, say that uh, it looks like the Stokes family is raising their kids right if they know that Florida volleyball T-shirt is nothing to be worn anytime soon. So uh, really funny stuff across all the board there. With a lot of golden shoes. And with that. We can wrap up today's show. So we are knocking on the door of an hour 15 on the program today. This is a long one. This is as long as we've done in quite some time. So if you're still with us, thanks for being here. And we hope you're getting ready for a uh, great weekend. We'll keep our eyes on what goes down with Christopher Jones. Uh, possible good news in the Georgia recruiting front there on that. Stay close to Jog Nation for a lot more on that and all the other stuff that goes down with UGA recruiting here. Kind of getting back to the business of hosting some visitors and also next week, the start of Georgia practice. That is going to be a lot of fun too. So make sure you check all that out. Now, speaking of the lousy stinging gators who've had their shots and made their fun of Georgia in the past, all of a sudden now, no one around Gainesville is laughing anymore and for some of our folks who have to visit down there, they're certainly not proud of the time they spend there, as you just saw there a moment ago. But 92 days from now, we'll be in Jacksonville for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Smiles on our faces because Georgia wins again. I'll have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday.